bringing you up to speed on the latest in conservation, science, and responsible hunting in Canada. Hey everyone, it's Mark Hall, and you're listening to the Round Canada Podcast. Hey everybody, so we've got a little different show happening for you uh, on this episode of the Round Canada Podcast. Normally I go through kind of trending stories across the country of things that are going on in science and conservation and hunting. So this one, uh, kind of a bit of a special edition. Uh, it's kind of specific to British Columbia, but if you're not in BC, you're probably going to be interested in kind of following the story along. Uh, we're going to kind of dive into some of the proposed hunting regulation changes, hunting and trapping regulation changes um, that are out on the table right now for public review and comment. Uh, in the province, they will form the next um, set of regulations coming up for uh, 2022 to 2023, two-year two-year cycles. 24. 24, I guess, right? 24, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's what we're going to do. We're just kind of going to go through and hit on uh, some of the key ones, have a bit of a discussion, and um, give you some um ideas and stuff we want you to go in and uh onto the website and we'll leave you some information on how to comment on those so i uh, got a couple of guests on and normally don't have guests on the round canada podcast as you know but uh uh curtis is on on here uh how's it going curtis good i think this is the first time i've actually been on this you've one. been on around canada podcast yeah. special guest yeah so curtis is in fernie so maybe he can fill us on what's going on around fernie but other than snowing. <laughs> God, yeah. yeah. Yeah, snow and cold. Um, and we're joined by Jerry Paley from the BC Wildlife Federation up in Fort St. John. How's it going, Jerry? That's going uh, pretty well. Most yeah. days, anyways. <laughs> oh, awesome. So if you don't know, uh, Jerry is a director uh, on the board of directors for the BC Wildlife Federation been there a long time haven't you yeah off and on for longer than i can remember i think <laughs> okay we I won't, took, we won't uh, get in we won't get into ear, time ears out, uh, for a while but yeah but uh i don't have hair and jerry's hair is <laughs> snow white so that will kind of give you an indication jerry you're the the chair of the federation's wildlife committee yeah, actually, it's the Wildlife and Allocation Committee. Okay, the Wildlife and Allocation Committee. Yeah. So, an allocation sort of having to do with um, quota species in the province and the splits between non-residents and residents and um, that that type of stuff. Wildlife Committee kind of deals with all things kind of wildlife related wildlife and habitat yeah yeah and jerry is also uh one of the key reps for the federation on the provincial hunting and trapping advisory table or what we call the patat um so that's kind of where a bunch of these hunting regulation proposals uh kind of come to a stakeholder table um to discuss and move forward for recommendations for government decision makers so Jerry why don't you kick us off and kind of start us at that level um, how do we get to this point where we have a bunch of new 
propose hunting regulation changes for people to consider? Uh, sure. So uh, quite a few years ago now, the government of British Columbia moved to a two-year regulation cycle. So we've just finished <coughs> the uh, 20, what would it be, 2019 to 2021. And uh, so starting next year, as Mark already mentioned, 2022 to 2024. So leading up to those new uh, hunting and trapping synopsises, uh, groups around the province and the provincial body, uh, the provincial hunting and trapping advisory team, uh, have a look at uh, proposals for regulations for the next cycle. And uh, the FETAC group looks mainly at uh, regulations that have that are provincial in scope, so have uh, a much broader implication across the province. And then most places in the province, there are public advisory groups. <clears throat> they have different names and they uh, deal with the regulations that are specific to a region in the province, uh, one of the wildlife regions. So the way it's supposed to work <clears throat> is that stakeholders, government, First Nations, uh, local governments at times uh, get an opportunity to recommend proposals and or co uh, uh, comment on or review proposals from other groups. Now that works well in some regions and not so great in others. Uh, I'd say generally across the province, the regional processes, uh, the BCWF reps are not really happy with. Um, <clears throat> we're not getting as much uh, of an opportunity now to one, uh, submit proposals that we think that uh, should be considered or to review uh, uh, proposals that come from other sources. Um, I think the provincial body, the FETAC group, is working uh, pretty well in that case. We've got the main group and subcommittees that talk about uh, uh, provincial regulations and uh, there is an opportunity for all the groups to to provide input and comment uh, on what gets put forward. So the provincial regulations, the regional regulations are sent to Victoria where they're scrutinized. Sometimes they make the cut, sometimes they don't. Um, once the regulations are uh, reviewed in Victoria, they go to the ministry, the minister to uh, sign off on. And uh, it has happened in the past that the minister has uh, kind of not taken her staff's uh, advice or her or his uh, staff's advice and uh, not gone forward with certain regulations. So the process is essentially uh, provincial regulations are developed uh, at the provincial table, um, regional regulations in regions are sent to Victoria for review. Those that make the cut go to uh, the minister, 
after a public review process. So uh, that's the part I, I, I forgot to mention a minute ago. They go up on the uh, angling, and hunting and trapping engagement website and there's a, usually a month or so time period that the public is uh, given an opportunity to provide comments. Um, yeah. You have to have a BCEID. You have to be able to log into the site in order to provide comments. Yeah, we'll put that information in the show notes. Um, so the link to get your um, BC electronic ID number, um, which is kind of like Jerry said, that'll be the thing that you use to log into the public comment page. And then you can go and scroll through the various regulations we're going to talk about and provide some comments uh, on on whatever regulations you want. So, so the we'll, BC, we'll put all that information in the show notes. Sure. And there is a, on the BC Wildlife Federation's website a page that actually goes in quite a bit De quite a bit of detail as how to log into the site. Okay, we'll put that uh, in the show notes as well. But uh, if you don't read show notes, go to the BC Wildlife Federation's website and look for um, their hunting regulation public engagement notice, I guess, news. One point of contention, I, I guess I should mention, is you don't have to be a British Columbian to get a BCEID. Oh. So uh, comments can be received from other outside of British Columbia. It does hmm. happen. Uh, they're typically not given as much weight as uh, those that originate within the province, but, uh, but that can happen. So how do they filter those out then when you get your it's been a long time when you get your bceid number do you put in like your address and where you're from and all that kind of stuff yeah i think you have to provide some of that info and they might okay. they might be capturing uh, ip addresses and uh, doing some analysis that way too like a couple huh. years ago we had I guess two cycles ago, we had a proposal around grizzly bears, and it was uh, that particular proposal mm. was bombarded by one of the groups from the U.S. with, yeah, with okay. thousands of comments. Okay. Hmm. Well, as long as that stuff gets filtered out, so that's the important thing. This is about British Columbians, hunters and non-hunters, trappers and non-trappers, having their say into the hunting and trapping regulations. So, um, cool. Thanks. Um, some folks probably know, um, but you know, I do, uh, volunteer, uh, on Jerry's wildlife and allocations committee. Um, I have worked with you over the last couple of regulation cycles to try to advance some new proposals. Um, we can talk a little bit about those. And I also am one of the Federation's representatives on the fairly new hunting practices subcommittee. You mentioned there were subcommittees of the provincial um, trapping and hunting table. And we're kind of the ones that uh, go through what people would know as like the fair chase rules and regulations that have come in in the province the last couple of years. So there's a little bit of that stuff in 
in here. Not as much as there was a couple years ago, but um, cool. Should we just jump into the table? Sure. Some of the regs. So um, we're not going to go through all of the hunting proposals. We're going to kind of hit on some key ones uh, and just have a little bit of a discussion on them. So the first one, um, Provincial in Scope has to do with uh, the banning of products that are derived or sourced from outside of British Columbia from cervids um, that are brought into the province and used for hunting. So that's um, kind of the lures and scents and peas mm. and all that kind of stuff. And this is um, part of the province's uh, chronic wasting disease uh, prevention program, I guess this would fall under. So what do you know about this one, Jerry? Fill us in a bit. Well, it's kind of a, an update of, a, of what's been in place already. Um, it was a, the last reg cycle. It was uh, put in that you couldn't use these scents uh, derived from cervids um, for hunting, but they were still for sale in places in the province. Um, so this update is an attempt to just not allow people to have those in their possession at all. And hopefully the, the stores, uh, the retailers will follow suit and uh, just not bring the products in. I don't, not a hundred percent sure if this would also apply to them in terms of having them on the shelves. You'd hope so, but uh, uh, yeah, I, it's just I think everybody. Well, I shouldn't say everybody. Most people agree that uh, we don't need to have products that uh, could propagate the the occurrence of CWD in the province uh, right now. Yeah. Uh, we're saying we're CWD free. That's maybe debatable, but uh, we certainly don't want to be taking any chances with uh, having these types of products or deer products from Alberta uh, from hunters bringing back their carcasses uh, to British Columbia and uh, spreading CWD. Yeah, so the this regulation talks uh, a bit about the prohibition on bringing in um, parts, animal parts. So if you go outside the province to Alberta, Saskatchewan, whenever you hunt a deer, um, you can't bring the entire carcass back. Um, so those are things that have been in place. Uh, this regulation talks about um, deboning the meat um, and certain parts of the animal that can't come back in spinal cord organs um that that sort of thing and then it also talks about the um the the products like this the scents and lures that we were talking about um yeah so just kind of on that where it says right in here there's um uh, deer farms in three canadian provinces and 26 u.s states have been or are currently affected by CWD, so in the farmed deer, which is where they get these scent products from. They collect the pee from the farmed deer. So um, there is a risk that these um, real 
um, urine-based attractants could have CWD prions in it. And then, you know, you take them out in the woods and squirt them on a bush and a deer comes by and licks it and ingests it in a way, you know, that, that is a risk of getting it into the province. So, mm. um, Yeah, we, and you're talking about deer parts. Uh, we've found that a lot of, not a lot, but there's a significant number of British Columbians go to Alberta to hunt mule deer. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's uh, a statement on this, the status of our mule deer population in BC, but people like to go to southeastern uh, Alberta where CWD is very prevalent, especially in mature mule deer bucks. And uh, we've been finding people, although it's been prohibited for quite a while now, bringing whole carcasses back uh, to BC and disposing of the, the parts uh, after butchering's done and who knows yeah. where. And uh, mm -hmm. I asked the question at a, a meeting a while ago, you know, does Alberta, when they uh, provide an authorization to a British Columbia or their own hunters talk about uh, CWD and the implications of moving the carcasses around and talking to some people from BC who did get authorizations, they said no, there was nothing included in their information package. Hmm. The people from Alberta who are looking after this said, well, that's not true, so I'm not sure where the, <laughs> where the penny drops on that, but... Uh, I think the tricky part of this regu this regulation when it comes to the um, the products, the, the, the deer urines and stuff brought in, sourced from outside the province, is the proposed regulation reads, a person commits an offence where the person uses for the purposes of hunting wildlife any part of a derivative of the deer, blah, blah, blah. Um, so like you said earlier, this isn't a consumer product regulation that, is going to ban a product from being on a store shelf. Um, it's going to be a prohibition about being in possession of it and using it for the purpose of hunting. So that to me is still an issue that the stuff is coming into the province. Um, I think we, Curtis, we used to see it on Canadian tire shelves, right? Yeah, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the, the scent. Um, I've actually, I've kind of kept an eye out. I've, I've been pretty hard pressed to see any non-synthetic scent anywhere. It seems like that is more the industry standard now. It's probably easier than walking behind a deer with a cup waiting for it to piss in it. Mm. But, uh, <laughs> um, I saw the, a couple years ago said real urine. Mm. Like, the, the big one that, that I saw was, um, was the salt and the baits and that sort of stuff. Those, those other attractants. Um, I actually, I, I wrote right. in, I wrote in a couple times to, um, Canadian Tire about that here. Yeah. And, uh, and, and basically on their shelf. <laughs> yeah. Basically they're like, mm, well, it's kind of nationwide stocking that we sell it and all the stores get it. And it's up to the check. It's up to you to check your local yeah, exactly. regulations. Exactly. Yeah. So that's kind of yeah. the response that I got from it. But anyways, that's, so you, uh, Mark, what you were reading a second ago, uh, is actually the old regulation. The new one prohibits somebody from being in possession. And it doesn't mean for hunting. At all? No. 
So wow. I guess if you're a store owner and you have it on the shelf, you're in, in possession. possession. I don't hmm. I don't know if there are different hmm. rules from that. Yes, uh, okay, okay. Because at the very bottom of the one that I'm reading off the website says, um, so this will take effect September 1st, 2022, is to provide vendors and individuals with time to be compliant with the regulation. Right. Vendors may be able to find buyers outside of BC to sell their products to, and individuals will have time to dispose of, oh my God, any prohibited material. <laughs> you go dump it out in the bush. Yeah. Nah, make sure it goes in the landfill for Christ's sake. Um, okay, well, I think this definitely is one worth supporting. Um, everything that we can do to mitigate against CWD getting into the province being caused by humans, I think would be a travesty if an affected deer wanders in on its own volition that's pretty much going to be impossible to to get a handle on but um man doing if it was certainly caused by people that would be way mm -hmm. worse so um yeah i think i think this is one worse worse supporting for sure so probably not going to be too happy if you're a uh a store owner and you're going to sell to somebody like where I live in Cranbrook and it's like, Oh, well they're headed over to Alberta where it's legal to use this stuff. And then they're going to buy it in my store. Um, that's store owner is going to complain that they can't have it to sell to people that are going outside the province. But, uh, I don't, I don't think those products are make or break for most <laughs> stores though. Yeah. Unless you're like, uh, the family, um, deer lure, store and that's all you sell um, so the next regulation that I'm looking at here is uh, one for trappers actually it's on compulsory inspection of fur bears for trappers um, so one of the things that trappers around the province that were required to submit uh, certain species it was different bobcats lynx wolves and in a, in a like um, in region one there's no longer going to be, or the proposal is, is for the trapper um, does not have to um, take the entire carcass in for compulsory inspection. Just the, just the fur? Just the fur. So removing the requirement for trappers to submit the carcass. So that was kind of a pain in the ass sore point with trappers of having to, you know, like, you know, you get a lynx and you case it out and you put it on the farm board. And then, you know, if you're not using the lynx for food, then you're putting it back out on your line for, uh, for bait. And, uh, then you got to store the thing, uh, and bring, bring that in. So, uh, it says in here, I think that the actual carcass provided little value to wildlife managers. So, makes makes compulsory inspection uh, a little bit easier talk to the bc trappers association about this and they're um from what i understand in support of that one makes sense um air rifles so this was a topic that came up at the hunting practices uh advisory table uh about fair chase Questions are coming up about the new air-powered 
high-powered rifles and whether or not they were uh, legal in the province. So um, you're talking like pellet guns. In, no, well, I mean, same idea. It's a high-powered rifle with a projectile, but it's under massive pressure, and it's hmm. you know, it's it's up there uh, with some calibers of traditional gunpowder bullet rifles. So, Jerry, yeah, I, I had no bit? idea there were there were such a thing until there was such a thing. Yeah, this started this came up. Yeah. Jerry, what do you think about air rifles? And you're, you were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I got a call from a fellow on the Queen Charlotte's. Uh, and this may have started the conversation because the last regulation cycle uh, put in some rules around what type of uh, quote-unquote weapons you can use to harvest wildlife in BC. And it to this person, at least, it wasn't clear if he could continue using his high-powered rifle or uh, air gun uh, that he'd been taking deer with on the Queen Charlotte's uh, for a couple of years, uh, if he could continue to use that. So mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, I asked for clarification from Victoria, and I think it kind of moved on from there, and uh, it fell to... Uh, to what we've got in this proposal well, where, where yes indeed some air rifles uh, with certain specifications can be used for cert- some game yeah so they broke um, they broke game into big game um, so the largest of the big game uh, moose elk bison and caribou and then big game in the smaller caliber or category being smaller bodied uh, deer, sheep, goats, black bears, cougars, wolflings, bobcat, or wolverine. So it is legal to use, the proposal is to make it legal to use an air rifle um, if it's larger than a 35 caliber for those medium sized big game. But the use of any air rifle on the big, biggest moose, elk, bison, or caribou would be prohibited. So, um, and small game, there's no restrictions. You can use any, any air rifle on small game. So, um, Seems fair. part of the conversation around the big, big animals was the energy, um, that they would deliver, um, for big things like moose and bison. We already have regulations in the province on the grain, minimum grain size and minimum, uh, energy, uh, of a firearm for hunting bison. So, um, it was pretty hard. Uh, our people didn't feel confident that um, air rifles, even the larger ones, would be capable of that uh, at this point. I think it's an evolving technology. And, you know, in two years from now, the state of, you know, 45 and 50 caliber air rifles might be completely different. And it's possible to revisit this one. So that's what that one's about. Interesting. Lots of crazy stuff comes up in these these ones um okay dispatching of wounded dangerous wildlife jerry well i don't don't think it's any uh secret that this one came from the guide outfitters um there was a 
situation a few years ago where uh, a hunter shot a grizzly bear. Uh, the bear didn't uh, didn't die right away, and uh, as it was then, the hunter had to be the one to dispatch the the bear. And they went in after it, and there was a tragic accident, and uh, somehow the the hunter was uh, mortally wounded in the process, and uh, not by the bear, by a firearm. And uh, a court case ensued, and a large uh, reward was given to the family, the wife and family of the of the hunter that uh, passed mm-hmm. away. And uh, so uh, what was asked for is the ability for a guide or an assistant guide to uh, assist in dispatching a dangerous game that's uh, wounded. Yeah. Um, It also applies, the regulation proposal applies to a youth hunter who is being supervised. Right. Um, so that's a youth ten age ten to seventeen. It would be on a um, like an adult uh, under adult supervision. So that adult um, supervisor would be able to dispatch um, a dangerous game animal wounded by a youth hunter. So we're talking only about wolves, black bears, cougars, and coyotes. I thought it was strange that coyotes showed up on there when a wounded bobcat might more likely shred you limb from limb than a coyote, wounded coyote would but wounded moose um, yeah and see it it didn't it it only applied to like the dangerous game as they're defined in the regulation just being the the large carnivores um guess we don't have to worry about moose being dangerous <laughs> no no forget so, about that so part of this one for me is this has not the this has nothing to do with like somebody's life being at danger this has and it even says in here it has to do with um okay the safety aspect of this the current regulations that require inexperienced hunters to track and dispatch wounded dangerous wildlife puts these inexperienced hunters at risk so a youth or a guided hunter they're saying is inexperienced. So the guide, assistant guide, or the supervisor hunter can then dispatch that wounded animal, which I, there's no legal definition of what an inexperienced hunter is or the actual situation that you're in. Like this isn't necessarily the situation where you're going in on a wounded bear and it charges and the guide like, dispatches it to prevent uh, an attack it's the bear could get shot by the hunter and run off into the bushes and the guide can go over there because the hunter's like man i'm just there's no way i'm going in the bushes to look for a wounded bear i just i've never hunted enough or or whatever then the, the guide or assistant guide could go in find it and dispatch it and then the hunter gets his bear um so this isn't really that that situation where like they're they're charged or somebody's life is at danger um it's just dispatching a wounded animal like the, the hunter that doesn't even have to be present 
the, 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 the guide, assistant guide, or the supervisor hunter could be the one going and looking for it and dispatching it. So that's a bit of a kind of a weird one for me because I had asked the question, okay, so Jerry, you and I are hunting moose. I don't have a moose tag because I got one already or something like that. You wound it. We're going in looking for this moose and it jumps up or the or a bison and it charges you and you're like you fall down and you don't have your rifle and oh my god you're gonna get killed and I shoot this moose that's fine because I was saving your life but under the law it's actually illegal for me to shoot that moose and we have to report it and relinquish that moose to the crown to a CO you don't get to keep it even though you wounded it and I had to dispatch it to save your life but under this regulation, if a guide or a supervisor hunter dispatches the wounded animal, the hunter gets to keep it. And so... Certain animals. Certain animals, yeah. Just being wolf, black bear, cougar, coyote. So, so um, yeah, I don't think this one was... It, you know, it went forward, but I don't think there was really heavy support from all groups on it. I know the conservation officers had uh, some concerns uh, that it might be ripe for abuse. Uh, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a dad goes out and he's already got his black bear or two black bears, I guess he could have. And while I was dispatching the one way, my son uh, wounded <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, uh, anyways, um, we hope that you go on um, and comment on that proposal. Um, this one, I think, is really kind of up to your thoughts and interpretation. Um, is this um, good for hunting? Is it a good safety thing? Uh, is it um, a good humane hunting practice? Um, obviously if it's a wounded animal, the quicker it can be dispatched, the better that's humane ethical hunting, but it doesn't apply to all animals. So, you know, like we we're saying, Jerry, in your situation, if you wounded a moose and we're searching a thick area for it and you know, you're 50 yards away and it's, it's there in front of me, like I can't, I can't dispatch it. So it's got to lay there wounded and I got to go get you and bring you back and you would have to dispatch it. So the humane argument rationale that's put forward for this one I think I have a little bit of an issue with just because it doesn't apply to humanely dispatching all wildlife as quickly as possible regardless of who does it so um so there's been some changes to compulsory inspection and compulsory reporting you want to touch on those Jerry sure I think there's some confusion around uh, these two, that suddenly all wildlife are going to be required to be reported or uh, inspected. That's not the case. Um, what the ask is, what the proposal is, is those animals that are already um, under compulsory inspection or reporting have some additional information collected when that uh, process occurs eventually this is going to be online uh, through the the e-licensing system um, 
but essentially they're now going to collect what type of weapon you use a rifle black powder uh, bow crossbow air rifle um, <laughs> how many days you hunted prior to the day to kill and uh, what class of animal it was was it a four-point buck or a spike buck or uh, so just some extra information and I think part of this came from uh, the very controversial crossbow proposal that uh, was put forward on the last reg cycle uh, using right. optics on crossbows. Magnifying and, uh, scopes, yeah. It wasn't crossbows, in fact, it was all bows. Um, anyways, that regulation proposal didn't go through, but what we realized is we don't really know enough about uh, what type of uh, weapons hunters are using and uh, some states collect very detailed information um, they even ask hunters for uh, you know if they'll disclose wounding data and uh, mm -hmm. it, this doesn't go that far but it's providing a bit more information so uh, we know you know, you hear bow hunters say, well, half the people in the Kootenays hunt with the bow. Well, we don't really know. Uh, maybe half hunt with the bow, but only 5% of them actually harvest something with the bow. Yeah, that's the difference, because there is that little box you tick when you buy your hunting license yeah. if you're a bow hunter. Um, but it <clears throat> but it doesn't get down to the nitty-gritty to, you know, say that, yeah, I actually harvested this animal with my bow, or no, I did not, even though I would check a box saying I'm a bow hunter, but not actually kill anything that fall with the bow. So this is going to help suss out yep. some of the the weapon hunting. Okay. Um, And what's the one on compulsory report? Reporting it's exactly the same other than the pros, you know, it's reporting yeah. instead of inspection. Okay, so that's just a bit of extra information. Um, another province-wide regulation proposal is out there is the prohibition on the tampering of horns and antlers. I think this one's long overdue. <laughs> Give us a rundown on that. Yeah, well, we... Here's another one I guess I was a little bit ignorant, ignorant on, but uh, talking to the Conservation Officer Service, uh, they see all kinds of things from people using Dremel tools to make a point legal. You know, it has to be a, an inch longer, longer than it is wide. And, uh, people use their carpentry skills to make that happen, or <laughs> if it's got too many points, one disappears, or... And yeah. uh, apparently, it ha you know, this horn bending thing for sheep, where there's a, a curl regulation, and uh, some people deny it happens, other sources say it absolutely happens, and uh, anyways, this is to make this unlawful under the Wildlife Act. Uh, my understanding is now somebody, it, it is actually illegal to do that, but it's a criminal offense rather than uh, a wildlife offense. Oh, and okay. Interesting. I, I'm 
I kind of asked for clarification on that today, but seems like everybody who knows is on holidays for Christmas. Um, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure this is to put it in the Wildlife Act to make it easier to move forward and uh, be successful in prosecutions. Okay. Hmm. And it apparently happens more often than we would think. Yeah, I have uh, seen some of this stuff. Um, you get a tine on an elk antler that's too short. And so you take a wood rasp or a Dremel tool and you router out the horn to like the, the crotch part between two tines to make this little nub longer. Um, I've seen it. It's pretty blatant actually um, because you get too far into the bone and you expose all that um, honeycombing Por porous yeah yeah you know that's on the inside of a bone and it's like well <laughs> yeah um, yeah and, uh, common one is is uh, shooting a three-point moose in the spike fork season and then using a pipe or your gun and blowing off the other tine so I've seen examples of that and it doesn't actually work out that well because they break the tine off, but it didn't break it off at the base. It's broke it part way up and it's still actually a legal tine. So then the guy with the Dremel tool has got to come to work on it. So uh, <laughs> This one, you might see the language change a little bit. Uh, I did get uh, a response from uh, the new conservation officer that's on He's not a new conservation officer, but he's new to the Provincial Hunting and Trapping Advisory Team. Okay. Uh, indicating there's problems with the wording, so I imagine the lawyers will have a, another look at that. And, uh, okay. It won't change the intention, but it'll... Make it uh, makes it enforceable. Yeah. That's always the lens the Conservation Officer Service has when they look over these proposals is can they enforce it uh and it's sometimes it's the way things are worded like it seems to make sense to you and i and they look at it and they would be like well tec technically actually this is not enforceable so that's that's why they're at the the table as well to bring that lens to these regulations so and that you know the other thing that's come up as you know in particular with sheep horns is is there a way in a lab to tell that a sheep horn has been bent. Bent, the curl, yeah. And, yeah, uh, like, um, you it know. It might like not be obvious to the eye, or... but uh, uh, yeah. under scrutiny in a lab, there may be a way of, uh, you know, providing more precise evidence or more valid evidence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be good if someone did some studies on that, like actually went and, um, from what I understand, they can use ratchet straps that you tie your boat and stuff down with and put those onto a sheep horn and torque those things with such incredible power. I think what it actually does is it kind of like tears the fibers in, in the horn and actually bends the horn. Like you're bending a big 
will sticker. Of, See, I thought know. it was just a bit of a temporary thing that you would do that and basically take it off in the truck as you're going to get it inspected, and then they put it in the jig, and you're like, oh, yeah, it's just squeaking legal, and then just kind of over time, it, it opens back up, but you, know, <laughs> you already... <laughs> rebounds back to you already got your Yeah, um, you already got your plug in there, so it's like... Yeah, that I don't know. Man, it's that's kind of what I was like, under the impression. That's kind of getting what into the whole field on. of like, well, what goes on in the drug trade? And it's like, well, I don't know because I'm not in it. I don't know what that stuff is. Well, you used to before. hear amongst, uh, you probably still do, amongst sheep hunters that think they have a, a ram that will make the record book. Well, you put it in the freezer for the the waiting period before it can be officially measured. and to prevent the, the drying and shrinkage, yeah. <laughs> or maybe accelerate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you hear all know. kinds of things that, uh, I don't know, We maybe we shouldn't dwell on the things that uh, poor hunters are doing. But <laughs> No, I think it's good to put it out there on the table because uh, it's happening. Um, it uh, should be illegal. Um, it's harvesting animals that ultimately are not the age classes of animals that biologists want taken uh, at the end of the day, you know, um, sure, maybe sheep horns are passing, but biologists are looking at the data going, the average age of the rams is dropping and that sets off other flags and results in reduced hunting opportunity. So it's kind of like a, you know, you might get it, some people might get away with it, but it's going to hurt uh everybody down the road so i think this is a good thing um yeah that this is in and hopefully they can more seriously hammer people that are filing and sawing and ratchet strapping animals um this one um this one is a region four region eight specific one um it's kind of mixed up in the table for whatever reason and in the Okanagan, in the Kootenai region, uh, in the spring of the season, uh, in the wild turkey season, um, the regulations are for a bearded only turkey. And there was never any requirement to leave the beard on the turkey so that you had evidence of a legal bird, you know, uh, in transport to your home. So there is a regulation in place proposing um, that it's a requirement to leave uh, the beard on the turkey uh, for the bearded only uh, season. They actually have it listed as leaving evidence of sex on the harvested turkey, which is actually incorrect. A beard is not evidence of sex in a wild turkey, anywhere from 3 to 20% of hen population of the hens in a population can have beards. I've seen bearded hens here. I know somebody that's seen them in the boundary region, bearded hens. Um, that's why the regulation is for bearded turkey, not males. So anyways, that's just a wording thing. Uh, the regulation is for leaving the beard on. Hmm. Wireless trail cameras. So a couple, the last regulation cycle, um, there was the proposal under the auspices of Fair Chase 
that trail cameras that could send remote signals to smartphones um, were prohibited for the use of hunting between August 1st and end of December, I think it was, uh, provincially. That December one. 10th. Okay, that one So you probably could have had your wireless cam set up on Monday. Yeah, the one that I don't own. Yeah, um, yeah for the last <laughs> 10 days of the December archery season. Uh, well, that was kind of interesting. So walk us through this particular one, Jerry. This is... Yeah, I'm not overly familiar with why Region 1 wants to do that, although it kind of makes sense that the time frame in the current uh, regulation certainly doesn't cover uh, spring black bear season, which, um, you know, is heavily hunted in Region 1. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess it's just to capture... Uh, the whole hunting season in some places there are uh, some types of wildlife that are 365 days a year so yeah uh, so i think it also applies to uh haida gwaii yeah yeah so well region one is kind of funny because it actually administers some wildlife management units in five and in uh, six in six yeah yep <clears throat> so that's so yeah, Haida Gwaii, the deer season's open much, uh, I don't know if it's 365 days, but it's uh, certainly much longer than the scope of the current regulation. Regulation. Hmm. I'm surprised that one didn't come through the Hunting Practices Committee and went uh, province-wide, but anyways, um, yeah, the expansion of the prohibited period of using wireless trail cameras. And again, that's the wireless ones, the ones that have the ability to remotely send a signal to your cell phone and show you what was in front of your trail camera. So I think there was some, uh, you know, backlash on this one because people already have them. Uh, my suggestion was to the uh, branch was to make sure you're notifying retailers so they can adjust their uh, buying. Uh, they do it a year right. ahead so they don't have a whole bunch of stock. But when I talked to the local store in Fort St. John here and, and Coraline's and Dawson Creek, they said, yeah, we sell some, but we most of the ones we sell that have the wireless capability is uh, people are using them to surveil uh, their compounds and things and their businesses and their houses and uh, not so much for wildlife. Yeah. Um, I guess places in the province where uh, cellular reception is, uh, hmm. is uh, wider than it is in more of the remote places it would make a big difference there too but yeah anyways that the backlash kind of died off pretty quickly and i don't uh, i when you read the hunting forums and stuff you generally see support for this okay that's good that's good um so there are some 
proposals for Region 1, um, Vancouver Island, that has to do with um, hunting closure areas, changes uh, around that. Uh, we won't go into those, but if you are a resident hunter on Vancouver Island, there are some things there that you should probably pay attention to. They might be important to you to provide some local knowledge on uh, what I saw seemed to be areas where there's like um, non-hunter recreationalists and hunters um, kind of bumping into each other and so wanting some expansions of no shooting areas. There's one I think down there that there was some controversy about in order to access the area that you could hunt. You actually had to illegally cross through private land on the ocean front or something. So. Anyways, uh, Region 1 folks, I would encourage you to go in and look at those. There's some regulation changes for Roosevelt elk hunting on the island, which to me seem positive because they're increasing elk hunting opportunities uh, for Roosevelt's on the island, either uh, antlerless because uh, the populations are doing well um, or uh, actually opening up areas that never had seasons before for limited entry hunting. So, yeah, um, so Roosevelt elk are kind of our, maybe our only success story in the province right now. <laughs> Things <laughs> are, are booming. Are looking better for them. <laughs> oh, absolutely. In some uh, cases. Yeah. Region 2 on the lower mainland, there's also a couple of um, changes to no shooting areas. I think you should, uh, if you're uh, on the lower mainland, go have a look at those. Uh, jumping to Region 3, the Thompson, um, there is a regulation proposal to close bighorn sheep and the general open season and establish the limited entry hunting. What do you know about that one, Jerry? Um, so it's, uh, I tried to contact the biologist, uh, who is in charge of sheep in that region couldn't get them but uh i think his reputation is pretty good and he tends to try and keep seasons open when he can so there's probably some legitimate concern here uh, this is the spences bridge area um, hit by movie there is movie in there and uh in proximate areas they're actually uh you know capturing sheep and uh removing them if they do test uh positive for mm. for movie that's not, i don't think that's happening in this area at this point but uh yeah so it's essentially uh 317 getting rid of uh the general open season and part of that area and moving to an LEH um, in response to, to low RAM numbers and to and uh, I've tried, been trying to get some background on this but uh, for big horns there's two horn regulations there's full curl and there's a uh, mature RAM and a, a full curl, I believe, is not as long a curl as uh, a mature ram. And uh, I believe the 
the full curl came in uh, quite a number of years ago to increase uh, harvest opportunities because and, and I, I stand to be corrected on this but I think it's because of uh, Rocky Mountain bighorns um, that uh, it just increased the opportunities a little bit so we're talking yes yeah, so we're talking uh, through the nostril to the base of the horns compared to above the bridge of the nose right it's a little bit different yeah so i always thought the uh on the these populations that the mature bighorn ram was if it was a broomed off ram so it could actually be less than full curl but they knew if it was broomed off, it was old. No. Um, nope. Okay. Uh, I okay. think they got rid of the age thing on bighorns a while ago. So it's uh, yeah. It's definitely both full curl and mature bighorn applies to okay. or is related to the curl on the horn. Okay. Because one of the there's just one a of the different things... way of determining. So, so the mature bighorn, the way I understand it, uh, having not really hunted them very often, is like the stone sheep or the thin horns, where it has to be above the bridge of the nose. Okay. Yeah, because one of the things in the uh, rationale here for the change to LEH is that they've been seeing the age of harvested rams dropping from seven and a half years to four and a half years old. Um, so that's obviously a concern for um, for harvest management and sheep is seeing um, the harvested rams dropping to being a very, very young ram. So quite a bit of rationale statement in that one. I think it's worth worth reading um and if you're from that and you know know something get in there and make some some comments on it and you know you could if you really wanted more information you could get a hold of the regional biologist or uh, the absolutely. regional president from the bc wildlife federation absolutely um so into the Kootenai region, they're proposing to close uh, mountain goat LEH hunting over in the West Kootenays in management unit 417 zone C. From what I understand, digging into this one before, I think the population is like around 20 goats or something like that. And they harvest like one goat every two years or something. And basically the herd is smaller than what the provincial goat harvest policy is of 50 goats or something like that and so they're proposing to eliminate the one or two tags that were put out there for that zone right and there would be a corresponding allocation to guided hunters too yeah i don't, I don't know what it is but it might be one or two in five years or something seeing yeah. as it's so low i mean i think this is sort of outside the scope of the hunting regulation what bothers me about these ones is when limited entry hunting uh, which is on sensitive harvest species gets to the point where they close it but there's no 
recovery strategy in place to increase the herd, right? It's just like, oh, well, there are less than 50 goats in that herd, so close LEH and sort of like wish them the best. Um, that bothers me. Um, I think it probably bothers a lot of hunters. If you close the season, it should be done in the interim while a bunch of studies and work is being done to increase um, the herd back up to where it can sustain a level of harvest again. But when nothing is being done other than just canceling hunting, um, I think that doesn't sit well with a lot of people. So, No, uh, you're absolutely right. And uh, <clears throat> you often hear, well, that's the only tool we have under the Wildlife Act is to muck with hunting regulations but when you're only taking one probably you know we like to focus on billies not nannies so if it's one male a year out of there is that really the issue with that uh, goat herd and getting rid of the season is that going to get them back up to uh, historic levels not likely so yeah your comment yeah. is uh <laughs> right on there yeah um region four kootenai um there is a proposal for a december late turkey season general open season on private land so in the west kootenays yes west kootenays region four kootenai west kootenai area um, so this is basically because turkey populations are doing well uh, and they're pissing off private landowners. Uh, and so the province is basically opening up the season in December to deal with this using hunting as a conflict mitigation thing is, is kind of what the strategy is. Um, Turkeys don't have a favorable reputation with the wildlife biologists in Region 4. Um, I think if they could aerial spray and get rid of them all, it would probably be one less headache for a lot of people because they do get a lot of flack um, from landowners over wild turkeys in the West Kootenays Crest and all the way over to Fruitvale and stuff. So... As I understand this, this is not going to be a free-for-all. There's still a regional bag limit for turkeys in the Kootenays, which is one in the spring, bearded only, and two in the fall. So I don't know. It's not explicit in this regulation, but I have not seen any changes to the regional bag limit. So it's not like you can go in and just gun turkeys down on on private land uh, you would still only be allowed to take I would assume up to your three for the year uh, in in region four one of the things I don't like about this proposal uh, is that it's a general open season on private land so this is a private land hunt. It's exclusive right to hunt public wildlife on private land if you're the landowner or friends of the landowner. 
no one else has access to go hunt those. Anywhere else in the province that I know of where there's agriculture hunts, Okanagan deer in the orchards, up where you are in the peace with the ag lands, the tags are allocated via the limited entry system to resident hunters. If the landowner's got an issue, then you let the, the LEH permit holders onto your land to deal with your conflict animals. This is not the case. This could potentially be the case of a hunting preserve. So I won't support this one. If they want to do this for conflict mitigation, it needs to be LEH, private land only authorizations for the zones identified in the West Kootenays. That's my take on it. So we've also, in the piece, used to have a, a public or crown land buffer around the private land too for elk. I don't know enough about hunting turkeys to if that would be uh, something to consider. I get, you know, it seems to me too that you're going to be hunting fairly close to, you know, buildings and residences, which you can't, right? Porches and decks and <laughs> well, you, windows. You're not allowed to hunt within a hundred meters of a yeah. building, right? So I don't know how this is going to work. Anyways, um, that's it. It's a little, it's one of these ones that's frustrating for me because it's like, here's a game species that's come so popular. Uh, it's doing well, more and more people are hunting them. And then it's like, they're a pain in the ass to the non-hunting public. So we need to do things so hunters can go try to get rid of them. And it's like, and then everywhere else, it's like, well, it's reduced hunting opportunity because there's not enough animals in the population to go around. And it's like, it's either one of the two extremes, reducing hunting opportunity because the population's in decline or the population's doing well, but they're a nuisance. So we need to try to knock them back. So this seems to be the, the case with turkeys. Um, they're closing, uh, probably don't need to go into this one. They're closing uh, archery season in region four for antlerless elk um in three management zones and that's strictly due to the decline of the elk population uh in region four there is a an amendment to the baiting regulation proposed for region four and I helped move this one forward locally. So when the baiting ban came in for region four, prohibiting the use of baits, bait in the hunting regulation is basically anything. Anything that's used to attract an animal for hunting is was prohibited. And one of the very common strat, maybe not common because I had some archery hunters had no idea about this, but in the December archery season, when the heavy snows hit, Douglas fir branches are highly sought after by white-tailed deer. The big snow loads break them off the trees and they just get in there and they nibble away at, at them because it's food that's at, on the top and the lichen that comes off the old growth fir trees and stuff. And you could 
Boster cut those down and put a pile up in front of your tree stand and sit there and freeze your ass off and the deer would come by and you have a little little better chance. But uh, even using fur boughs was prohibited under the, the bait ban. Um, so this is a regulation that's proposing to amend that to allow the use of the tree boughs in the archery season. A uh, few more changes in Region 4 to do with a lot of the um, AMAs, the motor vehicle closure areas. So if you're from Region 4, uh, there is a number of those that have some minor changes to them. Uh, I would suggest going in if you're a local, looking at those, making comments on those if you want. Um Compulsory inspection for bobcat and lynx. This is uh, for trapping. So region five and region eight, um, there's a proposal out there to uh, require trappers to compulsory inspect bobcat and lynx, which is already a requirement in region four. Um, so that's new. I'm to understand the trappers don't like that. Uh, it's an extra headache um, to bring in a bobcat and a lynx for compulsory inspection because I think it's, uh, if I remember right, it's within 30 days. It's not within 15 days of the end of the trapping season. So it's something you got to periodically do through the trapping season. There's also some changes that are being brought into place for registered trap lines of having to submit a fur report at the end of the year that actually is a reporting of your actual fur harvest for the year. Um, so I can understand compulsory inspecting bobcat and lynx and then turning around and reporting it again uh, in your uh, uh, trapper's report at the end of the year is kind of doubling up on the data collection. So that might be some of the, couple of the reasons why um, you know, some of the trappers might not be too supportive of that. Uh, in Region 5, Jerry, there's one, they're removing compulsory inspection for moose. What do you know about that one? Yeah, I, I don't know a whole bunch about it. I, I know that First Nations have... Uh, really pushed for this and in uh, different parts of the province I suspect it's a, a capacity issue I don't think it's stated there what they're saying in the rationale is that uh, they get good enough data f from uh, the hunter surveys and they don't need to have a compulsory, compulsory inspection, inspection. Yeah. Especially, yeah, so I, you know, they're going to add the extra information into the the reporting stuff, so. Okay. But so I, I just know that government, even though they use contractors, don't have the money or the uh, capacity to do large-scale uh, compulsory inspections. Hmm, okay. 
So that one's kind of funny because it's in the region where we have the greatest moose decline in the province, Region 5, and they're pulling compulsory inspection off of moose. Um, I mean, man, the amount of data you could be getting off of harvested moose in an area with these major population declines, health stuff, genetic stuff, bone marrow, like all types of stuff, right? Like they used to do back in the old days in wildlife management. Um, I, you know, could have saw a better opportunity here to increase things that were, that were collected from compulsory inspection rather than doing away with it, especially in region five. But anyways, um, so it, does, it doesn't five. even indicate if, I guess, they're uh, dispensing with, uh, I mean, they're not moving from inspection to reporting even. No, they're just going to capture it in the, the, the survey, hunter yeah. survey cards, returns, yeah. Um, there's another one in uh, Region 5. It's uh, a regulation to probe prohibit the feeding of ungulates within 200 meters of a dwelling, dwelling house. And this has to do with urban deer conflict and feeding deer and bringing them in and around people's homes, CWD, movie, that's that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's, Again, I'm not, I'm not. I don't have a lot of background on this, but you're right. It's related to, you know, trying to prevent the homesteader deer issue and uh, attracting more deer thing. than already happens. Into, That's into the thing. When I read this towns. one, this is not a hunting or trapping regulation. No, this it, is trying to regulate people. That might just be feeding deer on their properties in Region 5 that are contributing to the urban deer problems. And to me, the hunting regulations is this should be this should go into the act. It's not a hunting regulation change. Mm -hmm. And, so. you know, maybe it should be beyond if they want to do this. Uh, it should be beyond intentionally doing it. Like if your apples are on the ground, it attracts black bears. But well, that they can already do. Yeah, under but the, it would attract uh, deer too. Yeah, no, it does. Yeah, yeah. If they if they change that to um, attracting wildlife as opposed to just dangerous game, then they could they could do the same thing. They could issue abatement orders um, uh, or ticket people for not cleaning up fruit and stuff and attracting deer into urban areas. I live on kind of the edge of town here in Fort St. John and uh, we had a moose visit every one of our trees in the yard last night. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> nice, nice set of tracks or actually a cow and a calf it looked like uh, came through the yard and went out onto the street. One of the uh new hunting regulations that proposed for region five um the caribou region and I, i'm always an advocate when there is increased hunting opportunity so um a lot of stuff is about taking away hunting opportunity shortening seasons limited entry all this kind of stuff we're losing ground uh here is a fantastic hunting opportunity in region five i can i can see people taking holidays and you know specifically going to the caribou now to to um, partake in this hunt 
they're proposing a general open season in Region 5 for raccoons. <laughs> um, so apparently Region 3, 6, and 8 have got raccoon problems. So we're going to have a general open hunting season on raccoons. Yeah, I don't know anything about that one. That <laughs> Could you um, use hounds for them? Well, see, that's that. This is Flash my lights. comment. If you're gonna have a general open hunting season for raccoons, this is probably gonna be a growing thing in the province. Then you better allow hunting at night, discharging a firearm at night, and hunting with a flashlight at nighttime. Otherwise, you might as well just go set a trap and catch the raccoon because you're probably not gonna get it during the daylight hours with a 22. Um, Unless it's in a freaking garbage bin. Yeah, but they only do that at night too. So, Jerry, what do you know about Region 5, the closure of the limited entry hunt on mountain sheep in the Tosico area? So, yeah, it, that's kind of been a controversial hunt. Uh, it was closed. Um, the population of sheep grew up to a, a huntable level and then they put in a uh, I think originally an LEH season and then they opened it to a general open season and uh, a lot of people took advantage of that general open season and apparently there were conflicts lots of people conflicts between hunters um, and uh, apparently the uh, status of those sheep is now not as great as it used to be. And I know First Nations are probably in favor of, uh, of this regulation. So their proposal is to... Actually, I might have had that wrong. It went from general open season, then two years to limited entry uh, to try and... Uh, alleviate the overcrowding or the perception of overcrowding and conflict between hunters and maybe an over harvest situation and now they're taking the next step of closing the season altogether closing the leh yeah. that's in zone c of management unit five four to seco mountain so i believe there may be uh some access related issues there through uh through the court case from the Silcatine too and the Okay. And their lands. Um quickly touch on this one in the Caribou region as well. There's a elevation based motor vehicle prohibition coming in. Um so I think it's above seventeen hundred meters. Uh any motor vehicle has to be on an established road dirt road um, and no more willy-nilly running all over the alpine country uh, off-road except it doesn't apply to snowmobiles in the winter time right i think right. it's fairly common around the province i don't see any i see issues that uh, the number the 1700 is different in different parts of the province and there may be landscape level reasons for that, but uh, I, I would suggest if it could be standardized, if it makes sense to 
say it's this level everywhere, then... Everywhere, yeah. And to provide some, uh, you know, these days we've got technology that can help people understand where uh, this applies, so government needs to to work at providing that data, set an alarm off in your phone or your GPS if you're above a certain elevation or... Self-detonation. Yeah. <laughs> Locks up your guns. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, I, I think, you know, most hunters don't like to see off-road vehicles destroying riparian habitats, grasslands, alpine habitats. So, um, yeah, I, I would suspect there'll be, you know, good, good support from this one, but, you know, don't quite know the nuances of the region, but it doesn't prohibit you from driving into high elevation areas as long as you're staying on, you know, a forestry road, exploration road, you know, uh, a road up to a um, radio tower, you know, those sorts of things. I think, you know, I think this type of thing, not just uh, in Region 5, but around the provinces, you know, you get new logging roads or oil and gas exploration roads, and uh, people can go on those roads, but it, if you can suddenly drive up to three-quarters of the way up of a mountain, then jump on your quad and cut a trail to the top, Maybe that's something we should be looking at. Nope, that's um, that's a very good point as well. Uh, Region 5 has also proposed, this is for trapping. Um, this one's going to be pretty controversial uh, in the trapping industry. It is a proposal to establish a minimum distance between exposed baits and traps. So this is... This is a prohibition against having a trap within 10 meters of a bait station. So trappers will use um, bait stations. So they'll use roadkill or, you know, large quantities of, you know, bones, dead animals, those sorts of things, um, and establish a bait station. Get crows and ravens coming into them, and then that attracts um, coyotes and wolves coming into the bait station. And then they start having feeder trails coming and going and the trappers can utilize that and target um, their fur bearers on their line uh, through this strategy. So this is a proposal that would restrict trappers from placing their traps within 10 meters, it's like whatever, 33 feet of that exposed bait. So apparently, um, what I gather from reading this is it has to do with some uh, incidental catches of birds of prey at these bait stations. So probably eagles landing on the ground, on the carcass. Everybody's seen that um, hopping around on the ground and maybe getting caught in a uh, restraining trap. So, or possibly a snare. So... That is only going to apply, or it's currently only proposed for Region 5 in the Caribou, because I guess that's where they've had their incident with incidents with um, the birds of prey. Um, I did talk to 
president of the BC Trappers Association, and they were uh, opposed to this, um, understandably, uh, I think for a number of reasons. No trapper wants to catch anything they're not targeting. Uh, it happens. Uh, the more I'm learning about trapping, I am absolutely blown away at the level of sophistication knowledge and how dialed in trappers are at specifically targeting the thing that they're after. Um, just the ability to keep um, birds of prey out of lynx pen sets is based on the height of the, the, um, the setup around the lynx bait uh, will, you know, prevent a bird from going in after the bait. Changing the height of a snare by two inches will prevent a wolverine from getting caught in a lynx snare like i mean they're dialed in and they don't want to catch anything they're not intending to they care about you know what's out there and i think if you were to work with the trappers better they're probably going to come up with a best practice which can then be adapted to the multitude of scenarios of bait stations that's going to minimize catching birds birds of prey i think once you come forward with just a blanket 10 meters across the board it's gonna maybe prevent some incidental catches of birds of prey in some cases not in others it may not even make sense to do it in some locations maybe it, trappers set up uh, a bait station in forested cover you know the, these sorts of things so uh, and of course, once it starts in one region, uh, the risk of it going, you know, across the entire province, uh, affecting the entire trapping industry is, you know, probably, you know, coming in the next regulation cycle. And uh, apparently it's not going to be affecting the use of bait in Martin boxes, I think, which is a concern because it just says Martin boxes. There's weasel boxes. There's, you know, you can have links cubbies that are made out of out of boxes bobcat boxes um, and it won't apply to bait that is not exposed or out in the open which if you're building cubbies for lynx or bobcat is that exposed in the open or are they just talking about bait that's out in an open field like there's there's quite a few questions i i have about this regulation um, and i think the trappers will as well i think it's worth if you're just a hunter and not a trapper go read this regulation and make some comments on it yourself um so i generally like to see these types of things solved by hunters and by trappers rather than you know taking something that should be a best practice um and turning it into a regulation because then 9.99 meters is unlawful or 10 meters away would be legal so you get into all these problems with measuring and horizontal distance and slope distance and calibrating measurement instruments like you know <clears throat> i don't think co's are going to be out there with tape measures or lasers or survey things like to see if a trap is you know one or two centimeters closer than it's supposed to be from a bait station bait stations move things drag bait stations around so is that gonna you know is a pack of wolves or something gonna or a cougar gonna like make a trapper break the law overnight you know because it moves it closer to his trap so uh anyways uh 
I encourage you, if you're not a trapper, go have a look at that one. So in Skeena Region 6, um, there is a proposal to ban black bear hunting in three management units on the coast because they are within the range of the Kermode bear where some recent studies um, which have actually come out of the Rain Coast Conservation Foundation that shows that the frequency of the Kermode gene is higher in the outlying areas around the core genetic areas of the Kermode pre than previous studies have shown. So this is a proposal to ban black bear hunting in those fringe areas where the allele frequency is a bit higher than before. Um, I actually predicted that this was coming <laughs> probably back in last January or February. So thoughts on that one, Jerry? What do you know? Uh, I don't know a whole bunch about that other than I think the region, uh, the, the people from the BCWF region um, wish they'd had a, more of an opportunity to talk this out. Uh, they're not totally happy with it. Uh, yeah, that's about all I have to say. I, I think it was brought to the table and kind of said, here it is, and there wasn't really a lot of opportunity to, to discuss it. That was yeah. the biggest complaint. You know, and I, I can understand um, the concerns. So... So in British Columbia, a white black bear anywhere in the province cannot be legally hunted as a black bear. The Kermode subspecies of the black bear is a unique genetic color phase of the black bear that just occurs on the coast. There can be um, albino black bears or leucicid black bears anywhere else in the province, but a white black bear is can't be hunted so this is specific to the fringe area around the range of the Kermode subspecies so part of the question I have here is like so is hunting and the number of black bears that are taken there actually doing anything to the frequency of the Kermode gene being expressed in the black bears. It's sort of like, yes, there's hunting of black phased, black colored bears in an area where some of the bears are carrying the white gene, but is it having an impact on the number of bears that turn out white? That's kind of what I'm getting to. And to me, that's a research question that should have been put out there. If it's not, then to me, hunting black bears there would have been fine. Because if you take that same argument and say, well, anywhere in the province, there are black bears that are carrying a gene for albinism and for leukism. So if you harvest that bear, it doesn't pass it on and create a white offspring. White bears, black bears are protected. So is this going to apply outside the range of the commodity? It's not right now, but to me, the argument is kind of, you know, similar. Um, I would like to see some more science around the fact of is does this even matter you know a few black bears that are harvested like i said is it affecting 
affecting the commodity bears. The other regulation that's coupled with this one is a requirement for a couple of management units in Region 6. Black bears will be compulsory reported now because they're uh, on this fringe area as well. You can still hunt them, but they want you to compulsory inspect. They don't say in the, the proposal that I saw, but I wonder if they're going to be taking DNA samples from those compulsory inspected black bears there to see if they're extending out the known range of where the Komodi allele is occurring. So You would hope so. But, uh, yeah, the, the harvest is pretty low uh, in one of the management units that's quoted it's zero. <laughs> Um, and the other two, I think, are below 20 a year, so. Yeah. There's. So that's, to me, that's the management question, is harvesting zero black bears or 20 bears uh, from some of those areas um, a risk to the expression of the Komodi gene, the numbers of Komodi bears that would exist in the population, so. Um. So, Jerry, up in your part of the world, there's a regulation proposal to extend late-season cow-elk limited entry. I think that's in agriculture areas. That's actually in 7A. So, um, oh, over the over the hill from yeah. You. So elk damage to farms and ranches through trampling and hay depredation losses continue outside of lawful hunting season. So. Um, they're increasing uh, the they're just elk hunting op opportunity to the 28th of February on private land. Right. And uh, private land only. Yep. So it's, it's uh, increased opportunities. Uh, certainly in Region 7B, the the very uh, large number of authorizations we have for antlerless elk is related to uh, the agricultural section and their lobbying of uh, of government uh, many years ago. So to shoot more elk on the private land. Yeah. So. We've got another proposal on the parsnip to eliminate the cow-moose uh, uh, hunt that's been in, you know, in place in LEH with uh, with more permits than most places in the province, more authorizations uh, to stabilize moose populations related to caribou recovery, and uh, people don't want to see cow-moose antlerless moose harvested but it you know uh, people certainly don't mind cow elk being harvested yeah that's interesting eh? that's interesting yeah big petitions and, and and i mean that one that you're talking about the regulation in uh 7a for closing the antlerless moose in the parsnip valley um it actually says down there that part of this is the regulations put out there for public comment um the province is trying to use it as part of the are the caribou recovery strategy, uh, a lot of it has to do with um, moose densities and how much food is available to wolves. Uh, managing that, but but it actually says in there it's like it's controversial, 
and there's opposition from First Nations and from the public about wanting this hunt taken away. So it's basically been put on the table for public comment. So it's kind of a socially motivated uh, regulation. So. Right. But yeah, like you said, people have made a big deal about the antlerless moose hunts, but um, not for, not in for region elk seven, on private Region land. 7B, yeah. we have... We used to have, five years ago, 45 days of general open season on cow elk, plus 2,000 authorizations for three months. And oh, wow. everybody clamors to get those, but... Uh, and and nobody's petitioning? No. Or, or, or making signs? To save the cow elk, no. Save the cow elk. Hmm. Curtis, you get working on that Save the Cow Elk Foundation. Oh, yeah get 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 the donations rolling in <laughs> um so there's another one up uh your part of the world closing the pink mountain caribou general open season for bow and limited entry hunting what's going on there uh what was the leh and so we went season? from a, a general open season and uh then to limited entry on the pink mountain herd and now they want to uh, close the season altogether um the data probably doesn't support this there are very few caribou harvested um so the the plight of the caribou is not from hunting uh there's still a fairly good population of caribou there probably classified as being stable um, but the thing is they're removing wolves to support that caribou herd and the provincial policy is there will not be uh, a hunting season we won't we won't uh, remove wolves or predators if there is a hunting season so I'm not quite sure uh, why they even put this out for comment because uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to go through. There's probably not a great uh, scientific uh, support for doing this, but uh, because right. there's aerial removal of wolves to support the herd, there will not be hunting. Hmm. Okay. This one's got quite a large rationale statement, so... I'd encourage you if you're interested in this one. You you got quite a bit of background there, so a uh, couple left. Uh, so closure of LEH hunting for bighorn sheep in Okanagan Mountain Park in Region Eight in the Okanagan. Uh, I think that's a similar proposal we talked before of basically the dwindling sheep herd. Uh yeah, and they've got Movi now too. Um, the herd there responded uh, to a fire uh, a decade or so ago, but it's uh, really grown up again. Um, my information is that it's the trees are really thick now uh, in the sheep habitat, and bighorns don't do well. Uh, when they haven't got sight lines for predators and things like that. So, uh, yeah, 
So, the, so, so the I guess the short of it is it'd be better if they lit a fire and got rid of some again. of that stuff and created the habitat yeah. the sheep needs. But uh, when I talked to the regional president, uh, Region 8 is actually one of the pretty functional regions in terms of uh, getting together and discussing these proposals and I got no uh, red flags from the, the regional president on this, so. Um. Yeah, BC has a, has a policy, Bighorn management policy that basically says um, when there's fewer than 75 sheep in a population management unit, uh, this is a little bit of a tricky thing. It's not in a herd, it's in the population management unit. So you could have a population management unit that's got several herds, but if the population management unit has less than 75 individuals, um, they're supposed to have no hunting season on them. So. And or this, fewer than 30 lambs per hundred per views. views, which uh, they state is happening in this area. So uh good opportunity for hunters to get involved and uh get another fire on there grow some more sheep rather than just closing hunting and not putting more sheep on the on the mountain um last one to kind of touch on here is uh moose hunting and caribou seasons in northern bc are being changed it's hits on region six seven a and seven b and it's shortening it looks like it's shortening moose and caribou seasons and harmonizing them uh, across the northern part of the province what do you know about this one jerry um we were kind of we were given a heads up about this in our 7b regional meeting we had the regional manager come and speak to our bcwf uh, agm here a couple of weeks ago um just so this is a multi-region process and uh they're essentially trying to uh to um, moderate one region making changes to a season like uh, a moose season for example and either closing it or severely restricting it putting on leh and then the then the hunters shift to the region where it's still open um this probably will not uh, go into place uh, for 2022 We've been alerted that, uh, especially in the north, we should expect out-of-cycle reg uh, changes from uh, this day on, partially due to uh, the Blueberry River First Nations court case and, uh, you know, the necessity now to involve them and other First Nations in uh, managing wildlife. And they're just not ready to make a decision now, but uh, they may be next year. I know that uh, we've been told that First Nations are going to be doing community surveys and uh, 
trying to figure out how many moose uh, the communities need and uh, base the licensed hunt for moose on uh, what the surplus is on top of that. Hmm. So that, I mean, that's typically the way allocation works anyways. uh, In region 7B, moose aren't allocated, quote unquote allocated, because there's if there's a general open season now, but uh, First Nations first, and then licensed hunters, well, conservation first, then First Nations needs, and then uh, resident hunters followed by guided hunters. So um, we were told that uh, they're doing surveys of communities, especially in 7B, probably other parts of the north uh, to try and get a better handle on what the needs are of the communities, First Nations communities, and then we'll go from there in terms of what the seasons look like. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it actually says right in the rationale statement for this one, various First Nations across northern BC have concerns regarding availability of moose to meet their Aboriginal rights and have requested changes to moose hunting regulations to accommodate these rights. The province has concerns that reductions to moose hunting regulations in one area could result in increased hunting effort in another area, referred to as the waterbed effect. Uh, Basically, everybody rushing to the next zone where the season's longer, uh, which would result in expanding or transitioning these concerns to other places. So So it's not as if that consideration hasn't been in place for years. I've been involved in uh, these discussions around hunting regulations long before the public got to uh, comment and there was always consideration for what one region did for let's say the mule deer season and what impact it would have on on neighboring regions. Um, So that's not that's not really a new thing. Yeah. I suspect there's uh, government to government conversations going on and uh, that we're not privy to at the moment and uh, there's going to be some push for uh, curtailment on license hunting of moose in the north so Mm. uh, they're trying to alleviate any stress on what might happen in one region uh, impacting another interesting yeah, I mean, the future uh, is going to lie in people getting together and putting more moose on the landscape, more sheep on the mountains, you know, these sorts of things, more science um, to support, you know, questions like I raised, you know, about the black bear and the commodity gene. Is hunting actually, you know, removing the gene? Is it hurting, you know, these, these types of questions? Um Lots of opportunities um, to, because, you know, what I see here, uh, there is some positive things in these regulation changes. And we talked about those Roosevelt elk, more hunting opportunities. That's great. Some private land hunting opportunities for um, for elk in, uh, in the Northeast. But for the most part, everything you're seeing here is some kind of, reduction in hunting because of wildlife population 
is in decline. So, um, and, and history shows that mucking with the hunting regulations is not, for the most part, is not impactful because there are overarching uh, issues, predators, moose starving to death in places, uh, uh, too much access. Uh, oh, absolutely. There's we all kinds of reasons, the... but it's typically not hunting because hunting is so highly regulated already. Well, we talked about that with the, with the one goat season in the West Kootenays. It was like, you know, I mean, I think I remember looking at the data and it was like they would harvest one goat like every couple of years. And so it's a regulation proposal to eliminate, you know, that one goat every two years. Uh, I think it was two permits that were put out and one goat's taken every two years. Probably, like you said, a billy has no impact on a population, but the population is declining for reasons that have nothing to do with hunting. And it could be excessive predation. It could be climate change. It could be habitat loss, industry, like whatever. Um, but like I said earlier, and if you don't couple these things with recovery plans and putting some science on the ground to figure out what the drivers of population declines are, tinkering with the hunting seasons is not going to recover wildlife populations. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm worried because a number of these hunting regulations are that it's uh, just ratcheting things down and watching animals disappear. And um, so anyways, uh, Part of the point here is, um, you know, we want people to go on and engage in this process. We want hunters to get on here, uh, engage. Uh, like Jerry said at the beginning, people that don't hunt are going to get on and flood these things. You know, there's a, um, a proposed regulation to prevent trappers from setting traps within 10, wolf traps within 10 meters of a bait station that regulation is going to get flooded with support and it's probably going to get flooded with comments to say just ban trapping. People shouldn't be doing this at all. Placing bait to trap wolves and coyotes is, you know, it's going to get all that stuff. So we really encourage you to get on as a hunter and a trapper and comment on these things and, and comment on the stuff that you support that you think are good things as equally as the things that you disagree with. If you post a comment to say, I disagree or I don't support this regulation, give a reason why. If it's because you don't think that there's data supporting the rationale, if there's too many ambiguities in what the regulations mean or how it's going to be implied uh, or applied, and you don't support it because it's you're unsure, then say that in your comments. Um, that's very important. And these things do get looked at and they do get summarized and the results of these go to the statutory decision makers. So you, if you provide good quality, constructive feedback why you don't support something and why you do support something, that could have a big, big difference uh, or make a big impact on, on supporting good regulations and maybe um, taking bad ones and, and they, the minister might, re you know, reject them. Uh, so, the types of comments, you know, that are on there just saying, well, you know, stupid this and that, and this is just another thing that this province is blah, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. That's about how much time, you know, managers are going to look at those comments. So if you're going to waste the time and go on here, provide some good positive feedback, 
um, why you support or why you don't support something. And um, yeah, your voice is going to be heard. Yeah, Any I think that's thoughts? a really great advice. And if uh, if you're not keen on going online, you can always write a, a handwritten letter and uh, send it in as well. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. So this is open till public comment is open till the 23rd of January. Um, so you do have some time, a month. Um, so please. Um, and the, I guess look one. The show the, notes and yeah, one one other thing is check back periodically because it's not unheard of that more proposals sneak in after their original publication date uh, sometimes mm. with extended commenting period sometimes not okay. but uh, I, I'm not hearing of any well with the exception of maybe one from region four that we've been talking about but uh uh, yeah, it's worth checking back once in a while just to make sure that uh, something hasn't been added. It's kind of like a silent auction. Yeah. <laughs> Check back. <laughs> Curtis, what do you think it's going to take to get younger people like your age to like take the time and go on and read this stuff and comment? It... I don't know. I think it's either you're interested in it or you're not, and hopefully that uh, there's the group of young guys out there like myself that are interested in it and i know i got a few buddies that always sit down and go through everything and definitely put their response out there so it's just kind of i guess making it known there's i know i know a few people that don't really know that this goes on so yeah it's part of what we're trying to do here is to totally let people know your time your time to comment on hunting regulations it's always a hot topic around the campfire or the family dinner table so it's like now here's your chance to comment for real right so mm -hmm. um, that, that's a yeah. really good strategy to you know get a group together you know in our in my region 7b uh we never even got an a, a opportunity to comment uh, the last cycle there were three public meetings around the rig changes one held by the wild sheep society at our gun club uh one held by the north bees riding gun club and another one held by the region that had like 60 people at it so uh, wow. and this year we had no opportunity at all I, I mean we had wildlife staff at all those meetings too yeah hmm no oh, that's good over the holidays get your get your friends together and have a hunting regulation party COVID argue about these things and then say go and everybody logs on gets their comments <laughs> on and then you go on to the next one crash the have system. a few see if you can crash few, the uh, system like the yeah the LEH <laughs> draw <laughs> yeah we're not in favor of this one everybody log in now and have have your rum and eggnog and go on to the next one um, Jerry, thanks for your time. Ah, you're welcome. Um, it was fun. Going through all this. Uh, I think it's super important. Uh, I think it's important to lots of people. Um, hopefully provided a few thoughts, what we think. You don't have to take what our thoughts were on the hunting regulations, but I think what is important is to spend some time and go through these, know what's happening provincially and at least know what's happening in the region you live in 
or that you like to hunt in um, and drill down on those ones because local knowledge is going to become really important um, to provide comments and context when you know the actual area. It's really hard for me to comment about a no shooting area down in the lower mainland, but it is for you if you live there. But I also think it's very important to know what's going on in other regions because sometimes, you know, something like this one I've been talking about, like the, the potential prohibition on the distance uh, trappers can set from a bait set, it's just region five. But that could affect trappers in all the regions in the next reg cycle. So it's good to kind of know what's sitting out there as well um, and keep that on your radar screen. So. Thanks, guys, for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks. Going through the hunting regulations. Take care and uh, have a great Appreciate your time Christmas. and uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. And this isn't what's going on around Canada. This is more like what's going on around British Columbia. But if you're not from BC, uh, hopefully you found this conversation interesting because you probably got your own process in your own province. Uh, let us know what's going on in your province on hunting regulations and public comments. And, hey, we'd be happy to help you out. All right, everybody, we'll talk to you in the new year. Take care.